0: For your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, September twenty-eighth, twenty fifteen. Well, it's official, we have survived the Shemitah and the Four Blood Moons without any major incident. Yeah, that's right. Couldn't find my uh, Blood Moon bug-out bag last night. I had to just sit it through, you know, and cross my fingers. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of bizarre, crazy things being said out there, all in the name of Jesus. And by the way, that's what it means to take God's name in vain—to uh, uh, use God's name and the name of Jesus to promote false doctrine and things that Christians are not authorized to teach. You got to think of it this way: Second Corinthians five makes it clear that we are ambassadors. That's right, we are ambassadors, ambassadors, and given the ministry of reconciliation. This what uh, First uh, Second Corinthians five says very explicitly. And as a result of that, I think the uh, the uh, saying holds true that ambassadors, they don't get to make policy. They don't get to craft the message of the head of state. They get to deliver it. And so we are to go and proclaim what we've been given to proclaim. We have not been given the message of the blood moons and the Shemitah and all this other nonsense and uh, those who are out there promoting these things, they are off topic, off mission. They are not proclaiming the gospel. They are not preaching sound doctrine. They are misleading people, deceiving them, and really giving Christianity a bad name. Now, one of the things that, um, you know, I've been talking about it for, uh, you know, for months now, and now we've made good on the promise. And, you know, that is is that uh, it's time for our, our, our annual bake sale. Yeah, we've got to make budget. And uh, in fact, uh, fighting for the faith and pirate Christian radio, we're expanding our budget in order to bring on a part-time employee that is going to help us with our internet overhaul, if you would. And uh, and so for our bake sale this year, we are offering our uh, our, our T-shirt this year says, "I survived the four blood moons and the shemitah, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt." And it's available on our website at uh, fightingforthefaith.com, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the bake sale link up at the top of the page. You, you'll see, you know, it says fighting for the faith and it says bake sale. Click on the bake sale link and um, and keep in mind that, uh, you know, every purchase of a T-shirt or any of the items available there, including the conference audio from the uh, 2015 uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference, uh, you know, all of the proceeds there help us to make budget. And like I said, we're. Yeah, in a sense, kind of stepping out here, you know, uh, in faith. <laughs> yeah, and this is a weird way of putting it. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're taking a gamble. You know, it. You know, we're we're really trying to increase, uh, the um, the services that we're offering with fighting for the faith, and so we're giving our website a complete overhaul. We hope to launch it on uh, Reformation Day this year, Saturday, October thirty first, and so. Uh, we are we are well on our way and nearly you know we're gonna I think we're gonna make our goal I, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to do it just fine There's we're tidying things up and getting ev- everything ready and uh, the week before the launch of the new website is going to be just crazy but uh, like I said we've brought on a, a part time employee in order to help us with uh, our ongoing web development needs and we're going to be offering. Articles uh, we're going to be bringing on guest contributors and guest bloggers. We're going to be uh, you know putting together multimedia stuff, uh, more video and uh, and other things and resources and well crafted resources designed to you know really you know be a, a place where people can get information, a clearinghouse for you know you know the false doctrine that's in the church as well as the sound doctrine that uh, we should be proclaiming. And uh, and so hopefully, you know, you'll you find the, uh, the new website to be a uh, a, a boon, a, a, a fantastic resource as we continue to serve you here. But uh, so, uh, you know, we're we're trying to capitalize, if you would, on the debacle. I mean, now that I'm the winner, I mean, and that's the thing is, is that I have won the 2015 uh, uh, end times eschatological triple crown. You know, I bet against the Shemitah and yeah, I, I came out the winner on that one. I bet against CERN opening up a demonic portal and yeah, I I came out the winner on that one. I bet against the four blood moons. Nothing happened. Nothing. I mean, seriously. You know, what is the major thing that you can point to and go, Oh, oh, oh that was the thing. On the yeah, and and of course, you know, as a bonus, you know, the um the the herald campingites, those who you know continue Chris McCann and the gang, uh, they're saying that you know of course October seventh is supposed to be the end of Judgment Day, and that will be embarrassing for them, and you know, and so it's like an, as an extra bonus, it's like a, you know it's not a trifecta for me, it's a quadrifecta. Is that the right way of putting? It? I don't know. I'm just making this up anyway. So uh, again, um, you know, we actually do need your help. Um, if you're, and, and I mean that in the, in the truest sense of the word, is that uh, we are really moving forward in taking the Fighting for the Faith pirate Christian radio websites to you know a, another level, really giving them an overhaul and adding all kinds of new resources. But in order to uh, be able to do that in the long term, in order to continue to do that in the long term, we have to increase the amount of money that we're taking in every year. I'm just being honest with you, and not, not by a lot. I mean... You know, it's well, you know, maybe part time salary is not a lot, but I mean, but by the by the amount of one part time salary. And so if you've ever considered, you know, you know, supporting Fighting for the Faith in Pirate Christian Radio, I've never gotten around to joining our crew or or uh, purchasing some of the items that we make available on our bake sale. This would be a good time to do that. So that I don't panic, <laughs> freak out. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we know we need to do this. We've socked away a little bit of money for the project and we want to be able to do it in the long haul and long term and, and continue to serve the body of Christ in, in greater and better ways. And so this is kind of the next step. Anyway, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Um, I, I will not be talking about the blood moons today won 't be doing that today we 've talked enough about it. Nothing happened. It was quite fascinating to watch in fact, um, you know just walked outside my uh, my you know my front door, looked through the trees and saw the moon and you know and checked in several times as it was going into the earth 's shadow and It was just amazing to watch. It was absolutely spectacular and kind of cool and uh, and then once once it was full eclipse. You know, it was my bedtime. Um, yeah, nine o'clock rolls around for me, and and I start to just fall apart. So nine o'clock is generally when I hit the wall, and so I'm, you know, I I get to bed. But then again, I'm up at five in the morning or five thirty. So. Anyway, um, so we won't be talking about that. Suffice it to say, nothing happened. But uh, the problem, again, like I've already iterated a bazillion times, is that this is off-topic. It's off-mission, and it really gives Christianity a bad name because you have all these people here who think that Christianity has something to do with blood moons and Shemitahs and things like that when it doesn't. All right, so we won't be talking about that, but what we will be doing, we're going to start off with a – a roman catholic church update. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have been asking my take on the pope's visit and I have just one major critique. And it's if you understand what it is that I think is the major problem with the pope's visit You'll you'll be able to rightly critique all of it in its entirety. I mean, clearly, obviously, he made several different appearances and and you know participated in all kinds of different events while he was here. The media was all over it, and quite frankly, I just got poked out. I mean, it you know, I hit my pope limit like day one. But uh, I'll make my point by going back and listening to parts of Pope Francis's appearance before the United States Congress. And I will simply point out what's missing. That's all you got to do with that. Then you know, and and what we'll do is, you know, as we check in with the Pope, I'm gonna you know change channels a couple times today. Today is kind of one of those days where it's like ADHD. You know, we're gonna we're gonna start with the Pope. We'll we'll leave him, and then we're gonna do a prophetic Holy Orders Network information exchange syndicate update, and uh, check in with Amanda Wells and some bizarre teaching that she's you know given recently, and note how. Um, she has a lot of common ground with Pope Francis. Yeah, yeah just yeah, again, when you understand the critique, it's about what's missing. You'll you'll get it, and then you know, and we'll check back in with Pope Francis. And then we also have a vision casting leader update. Uh, we're going to be uh, don't know, where is the name of this church? Hang on a second. I got to make sure I got this this one down. Uh, we will be heading to C3 Church, O'Halloran Hill. And we will be listening to Pastor Tim Phillip, uh, part of his uh, Willy Wonka sermon, and we will note what he has in common with Pope Francis. Yeah, I, I know. There's a, the, all of these guys have a lot in common with Pope Francis. At least the major critique that I have of what I saw of his appearances here. And then in hour number two, in hour number two, we will be listening to a Bill Heibel sermon, a Bill Heibel sermon about the '70s. Yeah, you know the '70s—the great important things that happened in the '70s. You know, like the founding of Willow Creek, and uh, we will note what Bill Hybels has in common with uh, Pope Francis. Yeah, there's there's a common theme here, and it's a theme of you know it's a theme about what's missing. Yeah. And so uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy Bunny Slippers, by the way, I I always recommend them whenever possible. They do enhance your listener experience as long as you're not in in a room that's like 100 and something degrees. uh, Then, you know, your feet sweat and it actually detracts from the overall experience. Uh, So if you have the ability to get yourself a pair of those, that would be great. And uh, since we're going to be starting off with a, a Roman Catholic Church update, that requires us to do this. Yeah, that's right, folks. Time to check in with the Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Pontiff, who recently made a trip all the way to the United States of America. He spoke to Congress, he went to Philadelphia, and he participated in all kinds of papal activities. And uh, so what we will be doing here, let me go ahead and back off on the music, what we will be doing is we will be listening in to portions, you know, select portions of Pope Francis's speech that he gave before the United States Congress. And we are going to be listening for one thing, yep, one thing and here here 's the basic idea is that Pope Francis, as Roman Catholic dogma teaches, is the uh, visible vicar of christ on earth that 's what he is he 's the the vicar of Christ on earth, and so here 's kind of the question we 're going to Uh, you know, be answering or at least looking for the answer for. And that is, is that if Pope Francis is the visible vicar of Christ on earth, um, that as the vicar of Christ, would it not behoove him as a churchman to preach about Jesus, to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins? To call sinners to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, you know you make it about Jesus kind of thing that, you know, so, so here's kind of the idea. when Pope Francis speaks, who does he focus us on to? ourselves, our mission, vision, whatever, or you know destiny thingy, whatever, or does he focus us on Jesus? And what Christ has done for us, and this is, uh, you know, this is not some kind of a trick thing that we're we're doing here. All we're doing is listening to the content of his speeches, or this speech here before Congress, to see if, uh, you know, if Jesus really is the bee's knees, if Jesus is the center and substance of uh, Pope Francis's message that he brought to America, or if, um, you know, the message is something completely different. And I, and I think it matters. So here is uh, Pope Francis of the Roman Catholic Church, the uh, papal pontiff, uh, and uh, select portions of his appearance and speech that he gave to Congress
1: last week. Here we go. Mr. Speaker, Honorable members of the Congress, dear friends, I am most grateful for your invitation to address in this joint session of Congress in the land of the free at the home of the brave.
0: So he's pandering to his audience, got it. Yeah, and for that, he gets a standing ovation. I wonder what John the Baptist would have talked about if John the Baptist had been invited to speak uh, to a joint session of Congress.
1: I would like to think that the reason for this is that I too, I'm um, a son of this great continent. Okay, so now he's talking about himself. From which we have all received so much, and toward which we share a common responsibility.
0: All right, now, by the way, in front of me, I'm looking at a transcript of Pope Francis's address before the United States Congress. And if I type in the word Jesus into his address, using, you know, just, you know, using my web browser, you know, how many times will the word Jesus appear in the transcript of Pope Francis's speech before Congress?
1: Take a guess. Each son or daughter of a given country has a mission, a personal mission. A social responsibility.
0: Oh, like purpose. So that's uh, his version of the purpose-driven life. Everybody has a mission, a personal social responsibility. Uh-huh.
1: Your one responsibility as members of Congress is to enable this country by your legislative activity to grow as nation. You are the face of its people. They are representatives. You are called to defend and preserve the dignity of your fellow citizens in the tireless and demanding pursuit of the common good. For this is the chief aim of all politics.
0: Polit- okay, so reminding the politicians of their, their vocational duties, if you would,
1: not a bad thing to do. political society endures when it seeks a vocation to satisfy common needs by stimulating the growth of all its members, especially those in situations of greater vulnerability or risk. Legislative activity is always based on the care of the 40 people. To this, you have been invited, called, convinced by those who elect you.
0: All right. So far we're not hearing anything about Jesus at all. Um okay. Like I just asked, if I were to look in the transcript published on the Washington Post website, you know, using my web browser and type in the word Jesus, how many times would I hear about Jesus in the uh, Pope's speech? So we'll we'll check back with the Pope in a few minutes though. Uh, we're going to move along. Like I said, we'll come back. Uh, we've, we need to do a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. That requires us to do this.
2: Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely
0: bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row
3: Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, off like of the wrist That's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich There stands me wife, the idol of me life singing roll a ball, a penny a pitch singing and roll a ball, a penny a pitch Sing and roll Roll a bowl, a ball. Roll a bowl, a ball. Sing and roll a bowl, a ball, a penny, a pinch.
0: Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Now, we're going to be listening to a portion of a... I don't know what this is. This is a speech, a sermon, um, some kind of, you know, well, public... Form of insanity. I don't know exactly how to, you know, describe what it is that we're going to be listening to. But the person will we will be listening to is Amanda Wells, uh, you know, one of the prominent members of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, and we're going to be listening to her sermon that she delivered at uh, Open Heaven Church. Yeah, Open Heaven Church, and see if we note any common ground between her um, sermon lecture thingy, and Pope Francis. Yeah, that's what we're looking for, common ground here. So uh, here's Amanda Wells as she addresses the people of Open Heaven Church. Here we go. Now, you can tell by the applause there, there wasn't nearly as many people at Open Heaven Church as there were in Congress when uh, the Pope was there.
4: Amen. Well, I'm glad that someone came this morning. (laughs) That was good. Bless God. Yes, I am. I'm a a mother. I'm a wife to Roger. We've been married 38 years this year. uh, Yeah, he is an awesome man, and I'm a mother to three. We have three children. Um. Two are married of one grandchild, finally, and I've oh I'm in business. I do business coaching, as well as minister around the nations. I'm on the Australian Prophetic Council. I'm in Pastor Catherine Ruanala's church, who is amazing. The
0: Australian Prophetic Council, really?
4: We have the most amazing church in the whole world. Love it. Love my church. Love everything about my church. Love the bricks that it's made of. I love everything. And uh, I think you have to love the church. You have to. Why? Because it's Jesus. <laughs> you know, if I don't love the church, how do I love him? And because when I look at you, I see, I see him. And, and so we have some mention
0: of Jesus. Well, at least she mentions him. Well, let's see if she actually preaches and proclaims him. Not that she should be doing that, but let's see what happens.
4: So we are having an amazing move of God um, at the moment. Well, it just seems to continue. It's you can't say it's anything in particular, but it just continues. And this morning, I do want to talk a little bit about the. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the prophetic, and I want to um, take you through some activations. Remember, I spoke to you last night. Now, I don't think you can see it from where you are.
0: Take you through some activations.
4: What? Can you see that? Can you see the angel that turned up? Yeah.
0: Oh, she, she's got a photograph apparently of an angel that showed up at her church, right? Oh.
4: I don't know whether you can. Um, I'll bring it round. There you go. Can you see it? Yeah. There you go. Well, did you see it? Yeah. That's, that. someone asked me last night and that was just a few months ago and since that time we've had um, amazing at that point we didn't have lights under here and nearly every speaker and everyone gets up and stands exactly where she is and says okay try and take a photo now And there's nothing. And uh, even the blue lights, they weren't blue. And blue is interesting because blue, when you see blue in a meeting, it often means, or when you see blue, remember, light is color and sound.
0: Light is color and sound. Uh Yeah, where is this teaching taught in Scripture? Yeah, by the way, is she really proclaiming Christ? No, not really. Yeah, what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to pause right there and we'll come back. I mean, this is a bad start for sure for her. And uh, we'll have to catch her on the other side of the break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll continue with a little bit of Amanda Wells, check back in with the Pope, and then head down to c 3 Church. And I'll holler and Hill and uh, see if we can find out his uh, connection with the Pope. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
5: No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. ha.
6: <laughs> Ravage
4: and don't give a hoop. Bring up the audience, yo ho. Yo ho, yo ho. a fire is for me. We explore three different windows
3: inside. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select.
5: in other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen.
6: An angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy A prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven.
0: Attention, angels. This is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the um, latest downturn in the economy, and I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I wish there was something that I could do about this, but you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, we uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, uh, spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who have uh, been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you.
3: All right. All right. Everyone just calm down. Thank you. Now, I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, p- p- put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next! What's your name? George. George. Yeah, whatever. Where'd you fly in from?
0: South Orange County, California.
3: California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right?
0: Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things.
3: I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's our premium spiritual relief basket. Hallelujah.
0: Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use.
3: <laughs> I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay, Harold. Where you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurtin'. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods is just filled to bursting with heretical slop. What are they praying for nowadays?
0: It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still.
3: I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. (laughs) I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? <laughs> are those bozos still praying to the dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who is the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. Sorry, just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next!
0: Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that those people in pulpits and churchmen and people like that who actually don't talk about Jesus are not really doing what we're called to be doing as Christians. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Great way to support us. The other thing you could do is you can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the donate button and selecting the amount that you would like to contribute. Or you can go to our bake sale now, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the bake sale link at the top of the page and purchase your 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 own version, your own copy of our uh, 2015 "I Survived the Four Blood Moons in Shmita, uh t-shirt, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. And uh, you know that again will support us. If you've never supported us, this would be a good time to do so. Like I said, we are updating our website and and bringing on another employee with the hopes of being able to make Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio an even better resource for you. But in order to be able to do that in the long term, we need you to support us so that we can serve you. That's how that works. All right, we're going to continue now, uh, go back to Amanda Wells, and we're checking to see if she has anything in common with the Pope. And um, he didn't seem to be all too eager to talk about Jesus' repentance, forgiveness of sins, yeah, things like that in his speech before Congress. Let's see if Amanda Wells is into that. Here we go. And
4: uh, There are the frequencies of light, sound, and color. And the enemy has taken color from us, really.
0: The enemy has taken color from us. I had no idea.
4: And when you see blue, blue is, is the spirit of might. So whenever you are, uh, if you ever see blue around you or anything... It's usually the dimension of the spirit of might that has come into a...
0: Blue around me.
4: In what form is it supposed to take? ...meeting. It's interesting. If I'm not going to speak on the seven spirits or seven dimensions of God. And that angel, now let me try and get back to where we're really going. Uh, It was a long time ago, maybe last year. We're standing in the meeting and all of a sudden I saw with an open vision... Um, this angelic being standing right beside Pastor Catherine.
0: You did? Really? Pastor Catherine? Yeah, you know, God's Word, and that would mean God the Holy Spirit, has strictly forbidden women from being pastors. They don't meet the qualifications to be a pastor. Why would an angel show up except for to judge you?
4: His arms folded. Often I see them with their arms folded, just standing right almost behind her. But he had on... um, Shoes that laced up, like sandals that laced up to the knee. And I looked at him and I said, What's your name? So we've been taught not to talk to angels because we worship them. What is that? I say hello to you. Does that mean I'm worshiping you? Do you know what I mean? Isn't that ridiculous? But we'll talk to demons. Sila.
0: <laughs> yeah, the next time I see an angel, you know, I will be sure to be polite and actually speak to it. Um, You have yet to actually run into an angel that I'm aware of Stop and pause about that for a while This isn't
4: the message But we'll say, what is your name? Come out you know, well, Why are we talking to them when we won't talk to an angelic being? Anyway, he's standing there like this And I said, what is your name? He said, Troy I said, well, I don't really like that name I actually said that to him I, Yeah, Troy And he got really, really offended I had to apologize to him. You know, not offended as we get offended, but you could see he was not a happy camper. And I thought, he's bigger than I am. You know, I'm really sorry. I really love the name Troy. Now, the thing is,
0: what is this woman blathering on about? I mean, she's basically spinning a yarn here and telling tall tales.
4: She's really, if you think about it, preaching about herself. With names, names are extremely important. They carry weight, they carry nature. The char- character. So I went home and, and looked up Troy in the, um uh, you know, what does it mean? And it actually means a foot soldier of the Lord who guards one who has a governing appointment. And I'm like, oh, my
1: word,
4: Troy, I think you're awesome. You know, I love you. You know, and so when when this when when he came.
0: Yeah. Don't you sit here? You listen to somebody like Amanda Wells and you sit there and go. If this woman's telling the truth, and she isn't, if this woman were telling the truth, I mean, you'd sit there and go, What's wrong with me? How come I don't have, you know, angels popping in and out, you know, my church and coming and visiting me and having conversations with them and stuff like that? What is it that she's done that made, makes her so special? that she can operate in these supernatural dimensions just so effortlessly and talk about it in such a glib fashion, you know?
4: This, he was there with Jeff Jansen, and uh, Catherine was just there introducing Jeff Jansen. And I could tell you some wild stories, but I'm not sure whether you would be up for some of the wild stories that happened right then. And uh, <laughs> you are, oh, it was there that, it was that night that, um, as jeff jansen got up then this angel had appeared um pastor abby and i both saw him and uh,
0: pastor abby uh-huh would that be abby normal i mean Ugh.
4: we said do you think we could take a photo and so we tried and she took it on her ipad and of course um it came out no photoshop nothing that was it But we could see the other two wings. And actually, if you look, if I was to get it on the big screen, you would not only see wings of an angel, you would actually see a massive face. It's quite amazing. But as he got up to preach that night, I thought, oh, my word. You could just see open visions. I was just, it was like the the spirit of God was moving. He got up and I saw Bob Jones stand next to him. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm seeing things. You know, now I'm seeing dead people. This is not a good sign, you know.
0: Uh-huh. Now Sixth Sense, she sees dead people. Uh-huh. Right. Any mention? Any real preaching about Jesus going on here? I mean, she didn't mention his name. I mean, at least she has that going for her. I mean, so far we haven't heard the Pope even mention Jesus. Um. Yeah, no, she's not really preaching about Jesus. She's really preaching about herself. This is her letting them know how important and special she is because, she, I mean, she saw the dead Bob Jones. Who else did you see, Amanda? What I mean.
4: And then over at the drums, I could see um, I saw William Branham standing there with his arms folded.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bob Jones and William Branham and an angel named Troy. Yeah, oh, wow, boy, she's special, isn't she? The whole night, just watching him. She must be one of those super apostles, you know.
4: And I'm like, I, I think I've got to tell Pastor Catherine and repent, and uh, or something. You know what I mean? And I've seen things before, and I have had crazy things happen. So I wrote.
0: Yeah, crazy is the right word. Now we're, we're going to leave Amanda, and we're going to head back to the Vicar of Christ to uh, see if he has anything to tell us about Jesus, you know, in his address that he gave before, uh, before Congress. Uh, here again is the Pope, and I fast-forwarded. We're just going to pick a place at random. I went forward another, you know, 10 or 11 minutes. Let's see if the Pope has anything to tell us about Jesus.
1: ...as one, in a renewed spirit of fraternity and solidarity, cooperating generously for the common work.
0: Cultivating fraternity and, yeah, uh, boy, that sounds just, yeah, like a social club kind of thing, yeah.
1: The challenges facing us today call for a renewal of that spirit of cooperation
0: spirit of cooperation. I learned that on Sesame Street, by the way. I learned about cooperation on Sesame Street from Mr. Snuffleupagus in particular.
1: But Which has accomplished so much good throughout the history of the United States. The complexity, the gravity, and the urgency of these challenges demand that we pool our resources and talents.
0: Maybe the problem here is that the pope is acting like he's the head of state. Well, I guess he is though. He? Yeah, he's the head of state for Vatican City. Yeah, so he thinks that this is um yeah, I got it. He he he's there as as a prince or a king or the president. He's not there as uh, a Christian. We continue.
1: we to support one another with respect for our differences and our convictions of conscience.
0: Respect for our differences and convictions of conscience. Why aren't you proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins? I mean, the the precursor to Jesus was John the Baptist, and he was all about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus himself told his apostles, Peter among them, that uh, they are to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. I would include the United States of America. Wouldn't you expect that the vicar of Christ um, would have something to say about Christ? Yeah, I mean... He was talking about respecting convictions and differences and stuff like that. Yeah, what does that mean?
1: In this land, the various religious denominations have greatly contributed to building and strengthening society. It is, it is important that today, as in the past, the voice of faith continue to be heard, for it is a voice of fraternity and love.
0: The voice of faith is a voice of fraternity and love? Huh? Y- yeah, I mean, I mean fraternity i i mean you can get this at the masonic lodge um huh okay i'm i'm a little bit uh, you know uh, dumbstruck by this i'm not sure what to make of it i mean no jesus uh you know like him crucified for our sins repentance you know convicting yeah, that's all seems to be gone. I, fraternity and love, yeah. I don't, I don't know what that's about. All right, we're going to continue. We'll move on. We'll come back to the Pope here in a second. We're going to check to see if these other church leaders have something in common with Pope Francis. And I think, you know, Amanda Wells, yeah, she ain't preaching Jesus. Pope wasn't preaching Jesus. Right, let's check in with a vision casting leader and see if he preaches Jesus. <laughs>
4: Tonight's the night, I'm gonna take the word and twist
0: it. Los Los Lobos Ministry Records and their uh, rendition of Casting Vision. Spinoff of the old Foreigner song, Double Vision. Alright, now what we're going to be listening to is uh, Tim Phillip of uh, C3 Church, O'Halloran Hill, which is in the southern part of Australia near Adelaide. And uh, we're going to be listening to a portion of his sermon entitled, Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka, see if he has anything in common with uh, Pope Francis, who didn't seem to be all too ready, eager, and willing to actually preach Christ and proclaim Christ and call people to repent and to be forgiven and trust in Christ and things like that. Uh, Let's see what uh, Tim Phillip does. Here we go.
2: Who's glad our building's all sealed up? Weather like this in the school gym, the rain would be falling on you. Fantastic. I'm preaching a Father's Day message. It could be a one week only message called Willy Wonka. (laughs) Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Yeah, what does Willy Wonka
0: have to do with Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith?
2: Uh, I'm not going to say anything else about that. The transfer, the Willy Wonka transfer. So, who knows the scene in the Willy Wonka movie, what's his name, Mike TV, was one of the kids that won, he won the the golden ticket. What a great movie that was. I'm going to play a clip from it soon, but it's the new Willy Wonka, not the old Willy Wonka. My goodness, the roof's going to lift off this place. It's going crazy. Hopefully your car's still there when you get out of here. He's talking about the fact that it's raining outside. Hasn't blown away. The Willy Wonka. So Mike TV, the, the reason why I felt like God speak to me about this is because there's a scene where they bring... So God
0: spoke to you uh, uh, and told you to preach about the movie Willy Wonka. Why would God the Holy Spirit do that? Rather than have you proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins from the biblical texts.
2: Bring the big chocolate bar out. You know the scene? Have you all seen Willy Wonka? And Willy Wonka, I love him because he's a dreamer. And he, he, and he literally does. He lives in a bubble. It's the Willy Wonka bubble. He's got his own factory where he just makes stuff. And he just he's never let kind of like the negativity of the world and doubts interfere with his ability or his heart to actually dream and to think of crazy things to do. So, you know, he's got the uh, river of chocolate and trees made out of lollies. And it's just it's like the Willy Wonka world. He's designed the whole thing. And, uh, but this kid, Mike TV, who loves TV, and that part of the movie where they go into the TV room where they're going to export or transfer the chocolate bar from the camera to the TV screen. But he says to Mike TV, he says, we have to make the chocolate bar really big because everyone knows that when it comes on the TV screen, it ends up a bit smaller. You know, people end up that small on the TV. So we've got to get a big chocolate, because as it, and then it says, you know, in the original version of the movie, he says it breaks up into like millions of little pieces. <laughs> Goes through the air and then comes back together on the TV. So maybe if you haven't seen it, this is from the new Willy Wonka movie. Can we just play the, the scene?
0: Yeah, so apparently he's too busy to preach about Jesus. He needs to uh, be relevant, you know, and uh, talk about... Willy Wonka. I mean, you might as well be talking about fraternity and things like that.
3: You little boy? Don't push my button.
0: this is from a sermon you know they're playing a willy wonka video clip
2: That's it. I had to cut it short. Sorry. Didn't want to waste too much time. I like the
0: question though. At least you admitted that's what you were doing was wasting time.
2: Are you going to talk about Jesus in the sermon. I bet you don't. So let's hope no part gets left behind. So this is what I felt. I don't, I feel like sometimes God speaks to me in really weird ways.
0: Yeah, when God speaks to me, it's through the written word of God. I mean, that's how he's chosen to communicate. You know, Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed, the theonoustos, and is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training. So the the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Yeah, everyone. And the Scriptures are about Jesus. Yeah, that's um, what they're about. And and he's the center in substance. In fact, he is the way. He, Jesus, is the truth. He, you know it's not that, that you know that he's like truth no he is truth he is the truth and the life and uh, he's the one who bled and died for us and those who are christians are disciples of of jesus not willy wonka and god the holy spirit was sent to convict the sin of uh, you know the world of sin and unbelief and point them to jesus why would god the holy spirit speak to you in a weird way and talk to you and tell you to play movie clips from Willy Wonka.
2: You starting to think the same? I have these little moments where, uh, you know, every, every week, every Sunday coming up, I always get worried about what, what I'm going to say. And, and then what makes it worse is when people come after the service and they say, Pastor Tim, that was the best message you've ever preached. And I think, well, then it can only get worse from here. What if God doesn't give me another message to preach? And I, so this week, though, on my- Really, you have an entire
0: Bible, 66 books. You have a ton of material. And you can preach Christ literally from every page of Scripture. How would you not have a message for next Sunday?
2: This is bizarre. Monday, I was sitting through someone else's listening to this preaching, and I just, Lord said, Willy Wonka. You sure that was God who said Willy Wonka? Okay. And that specifically that scene that uh, we we didn't get it, but, you know, you saw that the boy, he comes out smaller. And I felt like God said to me, what are you going to pass on to your kids?
0: So God, God asked you that. What are you going to pass on to your kids? Right.
2: Would it have anything to do with Jesus? What are you passing on? What's going to be the transfer from you through to your children? And I felt like the Lord said to me, is what you're transferring going to be bigger in their life or smaller?
0: Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Why would God, the Holy Spirit, be asking you these questions?
2: And uh, are we going to transfer God into their world in a big way or in a small way?
0: And this is, this is really... Yeah, you can't transfer God into somebody's world by not actually proclaiming Him. You don't seem to get that part. You have to actually proclaim Christ if you want to pass Christ along to your kids.
2: Uh, hard to do because uh, talking about things doesn't always, doesn't always do it. It's our actions. We've just come out of a series called Loud, and one of the key themes was actions speak louder than words. And what, kids, what I've found is kids look at my actions, not my words and and I can be saying
0: one when- yeah that's weird cuz i'm analyzing your words and finding that uh, you don't seem to be all that interested in jesus and you're not really proclaiming and exalting him and you're not really calling people to penitent faith in christ for the forgiveness of their sins weird you have a lot of common ground there with the pope uh, let's uh, tune in again we'll fast forward a little bit more in the pope's uh, address before the joint session of congress Last week, to see if we can hear anything about Christ. You know, the vicar of Christ visibly there, you know, before Congress. See if he says anything about Jesus. And we continue.
1: Reminds us of our responsibility to protect and defend human life at every stage of its development.
0: All right, so protect and defend life at every stage of development. You know, kind of a, you know, a, a very polite way of saying, you know, hey, listen, I'm pro-life and <laughs> did he, Yeah, did you talk, did he talk about the fact that uh, the, the systematic clinical murders of 55, 60 million unborn children, is a sin before God that Christ has bled and died for
1: This conviction have, has led me from the beginning so this conviction is a conviction okay we have to
0: respect people's convictions, he said earlier
1: of my ministry to advocate And different levels, the global abolition of the death penalty.
0: So he's pushing for the global abolition of the death penalty, huh? Yeah, this conviction of yeah yeah has led him to believe that. Um, Yeah, notice that this is he's preaching his own convictions, not what Scripture says. Weird.
1: I am, I am convinced that this way is the best, since every life is sacred.
0: Yeah, I'm convinced this way is the best, yes. This is the best way.
1: Every human person is endowed with an dignity, and society can only benefit from the rehabilitation of those convicted of crimes recently.
0: So he's into the rehabilitation of those who convict crimes. Yeah, you know, not all criminals can be rehabilitated. Um, Oh, man. um, Yeah, is he preaching Jesus? I'm not hearing anything about Jesus. Um, I'm hearing a lot about his political convictions. That somehow are grounded in his ministry, but I'm not hearing anything about
1: Christ. My brother bishops here in the United States renewed the call for the abolition of the death penalty. Not only, not only do I support them, but I. Also, offer encouragement to all those who are convinced that a just and necessary punishment must never exclude the dimension of hope and the goal of rehabilitation. Mm,
0: the goal of rehabilitation. How exactly do you rehabilitate a mass murderer? You rehabilitate a um, an Islamic terrorist who has, you know, committed an uh, an act of terrorism that has resulted in the deaths of scores of people. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how you do that. Um, okay, but yeah, again, we're we're listening for what's not there. And um, just so you know, I I've taken the transcript, taken the transcript. And I've looked for Jesus. I'm doing it right now, again, just to make sure I didn't do anything wrong. I've got the transcript at WashingtonPost.com. You can find it there, transcript, uh, colon, Pope Francis's speech to Congress. And I've typed into my search bar, Jesus. Nope, nothing. It says nothing found. Nope, Jesus was not mentioned even once, not even in the footnotes of Pope Francis's address before Congress. In fact... What I noted about the uh, Pope's visit to the United States of America, I heard a lot about Pope Francis. I heard a lot about Pope Francis's compassion. I heard about Pope Francis's views on on the sanctity of life. I heard about his views on global climate change and things like that. I heard a whole lot of things from and about Pope Francis. But the person who seemed to get lost in Pope Francis' spotlight is Jesus Christ. And uh, weird, because last time I checked Roman Catholic dogma, the Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth. And yet, um, I didn't hear anything. And I mean anything. In all of the coverage, I heard nothing about Jesus. And that's the problem all right we're up on our second break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash Christian. follow me on twitter my name there at Christian quick break when we come back we're going to be listening to a sermon from willow creek from bill hybels See if he has anything in common with the pope stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back Pirate Christian Radio Theatre presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some.
5: (laughs) You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time, giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability… or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc. Et but simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you.
0: All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Again, we're checking to see if we can find common ground between the Pope and Evangelical pastors. Leaders, vision casters, prophetesses, I think I detect a common ground, and that is they're very interested in talking about all kinds of things. Jesus, not so much. All right, let's do this right. The Bad, The Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Willow Creek Community Church, South Barrington, Illinois. Bill Heibel's presiding. The name of the sermon series is The Songs and Stories That Shape Us. This sermon is about the 70s. The sermon after that is the 80s. The next one after that is the 90s. How much do you want to bet we're not going to hear really all that much about Christ and him crucified for our sins? It might get mentioned. Will it be proclaimed? Yeah, it seems like a lot of church leaders and, you know, prophetesses and prophets, and they're all talking about all kinds of stuff. Jesus? Yeah, no, not really so let me go ahead and back off on the music and without any further ado here's Bill Heibel's and the songs and stories that shape us the 70s. Here we go.
6: Morning everybody. You've all had the experience of hearing a golden oldie pop song start to play and before the end of the first few bars of the song a series of memory just floods into your mind and you think your head's gonna explode. You get transported maybe back to a summer camp that you went to as a kid you hear a song and it transports you to your sophomore year in high school or maybe some songs bring people to mind your first date or your first breakup with that first date Uh, sometimes you you and your uh, significant other have a song that whenever it comes on the radio you look at each other with those knowing eyes because it's your song we all know the power of music to transport us to significant times and places in our lives. For the next five weeks, uh, I'm going to do my best to transport all of us back to the decades in which our church was birthed and try to help you understand the songs and the stories that shaped us along the way.
0: Whoa, um, the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. What were the songs and stories being told, you know, 33 A.D.? Yeah, why would you talk about your church being birthed in the 70s? It was, the church was birthed you know, in 33 AD on the day of Pentecost.
6: Even if you're new with us this weekend, uh, I think you'll be fascinated to review the culture of these various eras. And uh, you'll love hearing the music, I think, that so defined the, the decades uh, in which our church evolved. So I want to dive right in, waste no more time, and I want to show you four quick pictures to remind you of sort of the feeling of the decade of the 70s. So uh, the first one is a tough one to look at, and this comes out of the Vietnam War. And all of us saw that picture, which was shown of a nine-year-old girl on June 8, 1972. And we saw that picture, and we said, there must be a better way to solve conflict, than to shed the blood and burn the bodies of each other's children. There must be a better way. In the early 70s, the feeling of war fatigue was absolutely palpable in the air. Enough was enough. We felt like we needed to bring the soldiers home. Our soldiers had fought with all their hearts, done all they could do, but it was time for this thing to stop. And by the mid-70s, the soldiers came home. Before I show you the next picture, the young woman that, who was nine years old when that terrible bomb uh, burned her, uh, she survived that burning. Uh, when she grew up, she emigrated to Canada, became a fully devoted followers of Christ, and leads a peacemaking ministry today. Isn't that something, how God redeemed that situation? Amazing. Second picture is of President Nixon's resignation. Uh, He really doesn't look too contrite there, does he? Uh, Those of you who were around in that day remember how respect for our president or even respect for the office of the president began to sink to an all-time low. This contributed to a suspicion throughout American society that all leaders are only in it for themselves. All leaders are going to disappoint you and rip you off someday. So be, beware, be forewarned, never trust a leader. That was in the air in the mid-70s. Third picture I want to show you is of a recession. And if you look at that blue line that goes down and down and down, and if you look where it hits the bottom, second quarter, 1975. That's exactly when we were beginning to uh, start the procedures that would lead us you know, to rent the Willow Creek Theater and to start the church. Uh, there was another recession that came at the end of the decade, which caused long lines at gas stations. Interest rates went as high as 20%. Think about it. The 70s were turbulent and frustrating economically, to say the least. Fourth picture I want to show you is another tough one, but it sort of summarizes the bleakness of the entire decade. And that's a picture of Jonestown. You all remember this shot. A self-appointed religious leader named Jim's, Jim Jones Moved a thousand of his people to a piece of property in Guyana, northeast tip of South America. He oppressed and deceived the people that he led as a religious leader. And on November 18, 1978, he convinced over 900 of them to drink cyanide from Dixie Cups. And they did. And over 900 of them died, most of them women and children. The news story was a saturation coverage event, as you can well imagine. And it just added to the darkness and the cynicism of the 70s. So now, in addition to not trusting elected government officials, the new message in the 70s was, whatever you do, do not trust religious leaders. They're worse yet. They're manipulative egomaniacs who will eventually cause you harm. Steer clear of all of them. So with all that going on in the culture during the decade of the 70s, There's this handful of us who are in our early 20s, and we start selling tomatoes door-to-door, yes, in the middle of that worst recession of the decade. We're going to raise money to start a church in a movie theater. A couple things about this. Independent churches were rarely started in that day. Occasionally, a denomination would open up a new branch. They would build a new building, move some members there. Nobody started independent churches. Uh, No one started churches in movie theaters because movie theaters, most Christians didn't go to movies in that era. They were considered terrible places, terrible things happened inside of them. We didn't know what else to do. Uh, We were all fired up about starting a church. No one would help us, so we did it independently. We couldn't find a better venue, so we rented a movie theater. And uh, when we... Got that church up and going, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, only a few short years after we were up and going, that mass suicide in Jonestown occurred. And that brought the press to Now, if
0: your understanding of church history only takes you back to the 1970s, you are woefully um, unschooled in church history
6: to our front doors at the Willow Creek Theater week after week after week asking brand new Christians who were walking out of our services why they were joining a cult. How could they be so stupid? Didn't they care about their kids' well-being? Something was terrible going to happen in this young church in a movie theater. Friends, I got to tell you, the 70s were intense in my life. The 70s were intense as a decade. The 70s were intense for this church. Now, by hindsight, human hindsight, uh, I think that maybe the mid-70s probably was not the best time in the 20th century to launch a new kind of church. But the small band of us who felt called by God to start, Willow, uh, we're not going to let the difficulties of that decade stop us. We were so filled with the vision of the beauty and the power and the potential of a local church that we couldn't wait one more week. We had to hold that first service in the movie theater, or we thought our hearts were going to explode. So we did it, even if the culture wasn't receptive to it. But now, these days, 40 years later, when I look back at the timing of the launch of our church in the decade of the 70s,
0: Is he opening a biblical text? Is he proclaiming Christ? Who's he talking about? Them.
6: 70s, I find myself these days quoting Isaiah 55, verse 9. God's ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are higher than our
0: First appearance of God's word and it's in it's proof text to support and buttress that they've done this amazing thing and followed the call of God by doing a church in a whole new way in a movie theater.
6: our ways I now by hindsight look back and think that maybe God saw the war fatigue Maybe God saw the disillusionment with leaders in Washington, D.C. Maybe God saw the frustration with the financial downturn and all the recessions of the 70s. And maybe God thought to himself, what a perfect time to inject a little joy and a little energy and a little hope into the malaise of the 70s. The word that historians use to describe the entire decade of the 70s is the word malaise. So in our situation, when the average age of the people in this brand new church is about 19 years old, and when you decide that traditional church isn't going to work because it, church attendance was dropping like crazy. Uh, traditional
0: church won't work, huh? Yeah, because, yeah. Um, the, the problem, again, uh, with church attendance falling, you know, it was falling in those churches in the mainline denominations that had jettisoned the authority of the Word of God and denied miracles and were liberal. Oh yeah, the church attendance was falling like a stone in the mainline liberal denominations. Those who were proclaiming Christ and him crucified, yeah, that held the line. They didn't they weren't experiencing huge decline in the
6: 70s. And when you toss out all the old traditions, And you decide you're going to do church a brand new way, you can only imagine the energy and the joy that exploded on the stage of that rented movie theater. Maybe you don't know this. We're one of the first churches in the world to put an actual rock band on the stage of a church. So we just put up a drum set and we said, Here we go. And
0: why is that
6: a good thing? Uh, Rock and roll. And, you know, we weren't doing that to be cool. We just said we, we need the kind of music that people in the 70s are going to relate to. And organ music isn't going to do it, so we used a rock band. Uh, we had a lot of different music groups. We just kept anybody who could sing. We put them up with a microphone. And uh, none of us sang well, but there were a lot of us singing. Uh, we had instrumentalists who, uh, I look back, uh, Mike Bourbon, still a part of our church. So is Brian Hendrickson, our original bass player. Tom Vitaco, this is my wife Lynn, she played the flute in our band, as some other uh, trumpet players are in that picture. We used drama skits. We used drama skits every week, and about a third of them made sense. (laughs) Most of the time, I would get up after the drama people, and I would explain, now, how are you going to make sense out of that? that? I mean, we did a lot of bad drama in those days, we also experimented with dance, I'm not sure this was worship dance. I'm not sure what Bible study I was teaching that particular day. Uh, we, We were in this movie theater and we had this big screen behind us. And so we said to ourselves, why don't we put something on the screen? Well, we didn't know what to put on the screen. So we experimented with little multimedia presentations and I want to show you one. That dates back. This is the actual media presentation we showed in the movie theater in 1978. So please excuse it. It's a little uh, time-worn, but here, watch this.
0: Oh, God.
6: So nice to see you.
1: Wow, you...
0: Yeah, I'm not going to play the whole thing because that's the voice that is throughout the entire multimedia presentation that, you know, they're showing the arts, you know, in their relevant use there at Willow Creek. Uh, let's fast forward and we'll continue.
6: So every once in a while, the music would work, and the drama would work, and one of these multimedia presentations would work. And the first 30 minutes or so, 35 minutes of those services in the movie theater were like nothing anybody had ever experienced in their life. And then, this charismatic ball of fire would step up. I mean, Mr. Excitement, Mr. Excitement. And would teach for another 30 or 40 minutes with no notes. Think about it. No notes. And uh, people would walk out of the movie theater after an hour, hour and 10 minutes, and they would forget all about the malaise of the 70s. Uh, They had just been injected with a dose of life and hope and maybe love from the Holy Spirit. And they were good to go back into the recession or the depression of that decade most of them would get up on Monday morning and tell all their uninspired colleagues the incredible jolt of joy that they'd experienced in this church in a movie theater, and word spread throughout Palatine and then Barrington and Schomburg and Rolling Meadows and so and it spread like wildfire. Forty years later, I'm convinced that God knew exactly what he was doing. When he gave birth to an exciting new kind of church in the middle of a very dark, mundane decade. It was not a chronological accident that our church was birthed in the 70s. And before I move on, can I take a quick time out and ask each of you if you have ever looked in the rearview mirror of your life from time to time and realized that. Now, remember, this is a sermon
0: the job of a pastor according to scripture is to what preach the word so far we've heard one verse god's ways are higher than our ways in the context of recounting the story of willow creek yeah this is not what any pastor should be doing ever
6: that god's ways were higher than your ways in your life Have you ever thought back to, you know, that painful breakup with the heart throb that you thought was the absolute end of the world? Two years later, you met someone that you're married to now, and you find yourself several times a year thanking God that his ways are higher than your ways. Maybe he had your best in mind. You think about that corporate reorganization that left you without a job, and that era that was so hard and Then you found that job that's a better fit, and it's a better company. Now you sit around with colleagues, you love doing work that inspires you, and you think to yourself, good job, God. Good job. Your ways were higher than my ways. Gang, I've tried to argue this case for 40 years. Our Heavenly Father is good. Through and through. He wants the best for you and your life.
0: Uh, you need to define that and you need to actually demonstrate that from Scripture because Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And he Jesus has told us that if you know we desire to live a godly life in this world, that we will be persecuted. So
6: what kind of life is Jesus exactly offering us again? He is fully capable of guiding your life into a better, more satisfying future than you're capable. A
0: better, more satisfying future. Okay. Yeah. Um, hmm. If you think about it, the Pope talking about coming together in fraternity and whatever, he was trying to uh, basically lay the groundwork for a better, more satisfying future for the United States and the world. Um, But the job of a pastor is to preach the word. The job of a churchman, technically, is to proclaim Christ. And him crucified for our sins. Call sinners to repent and to be forgiven in the name of Christ. Jesus himself gave us this commission. Hmm, not hearing a lot of that. And this is weird. How is it that so many people who are church leaders are so far off topic?
6: Of arranging for yourself. His ways are actually higher than your ways or my ways. He actually sees the players in the playing field so much more clearly than we do. And he loves us so much more deeply than any of us could ever imagine. So our job is to follow that passage in Scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in this God. Trust in this God with all your
1: heart.
0: Trust in him for what, exactly? A more satisfying future? That's not the gospel.
6: Don't always rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. He will direct your life. Someone who studies church history contacted me recently, said in his opinion, 1975 was the absolute perfect time in both church history and U.S. history for a brand new kind of church to be born, birthed into existence. He was intimating that my timing was brilliant. And I said, stop, 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 stop. I wasn't... I had nothing to do with the timing of the start of this church. God orchestrated all of it. He orchestrated the timing of it.
0: So this new kind of church, apparently, a part of the new way of doing church is to not actually preach Christ, but preach how wonderful your church is. Right.
6: Give credit where credit is due. I was a clueless, tiny bit player in this drama. It was all God and only God, right? We clear on this? All right. Yeah, why aren't you
0: proclaiming him then? This sounds humble and pious, but
6: it's actually quite arrogant. Here's another almost eerie irony about our church starting in the 70s. I want to revisit that distrust of leaders thing. As the truth uh, about Nixon came out in the Watergate hearings... Lie after lie was exposed. It was breathtaking. You're like, he lied about that, and he lied about that, and his colleagues lied about that and that and that, and then the cover-ups were uncovered. It was nasty. By the time Nixon had to resign, there was a culture of distrust. Kind of like
0: Mark Driscoll's fall and removal and the destruction of Mars Hill. A lot like that, yeah. It,
6: it's, it parallels Nixon wonderfully. For highly visible leaders. That every leader who led to anything in that era felt the glare of the followers wondering when they're going to be lied to next, when they're going to be betrayed in some way. Now that sounds like a horrible time in history for a young guy to stand up and announce that he's going to start a church in a movie theater. Who's ever going to trust him, right? God knew this situation and made two provisions for me during this turbulent era. The first... He knew that as a young leader, I desperately needed the cover and the backing of an older, wiser individual whose credibility was not on trial, whose integrity could lower the blood pressure of everyone around wondering what this young kid was doing. And God provided us, me, this church, with Dr. B. And that was an amazing gift. His respectability as being a professor at Wheaton College provided a lot of cover and lowered a lot of people's blood pressure about my, you know, emerging leadership. But secondly, uh, Dr. B. drummed an ideology into us that was very in- An ideology rather than a doctrine
0: or a theology. Big difference. Ideologies are very dangerous. Communism is an ideology. Fascism, ideology. We got a problem here. And I, I seem to remember um, it was the folks at Willow Creek who uh, under the even under the watchful eye of Dr. B made the decision that women could be pastors even though scripture says they can't. Weird.
6: Interesting for this era. Because he said and he would say it over and over again especially in that era when everyone was worried about you know what strong leaders might do, he would say, "Look, we're not going to build this church around a single strong leader or a single strong personality. That should never happen in any age in any era. Dr. B would meet with those of us who were going to quit our jobs and start Willow, and he would say, you want to know why I'm optimistic about the future of this church? Is because we're going to put the Holy Spirit in charge of this church.
0: We are going to put the Holy Spirit in charge of this church. Well, that's awful nice of you. I mean... What what kind of Holy Spirit is that? You know, let me slip into my Holy Spirit voice here. Hi, this is the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I'm just looking for a church out there. Um, You know, I I, I have some things I could really offer churches. But, you know, I I need one or two of them to make the decision to put me in charge. I mean, all of those traditional churches, not even one of them. No, not one of them anywhere. You know, the ones that, you know, open up the Bible and the pastor preaches the word. And, and they, you know, and they give the Lord's Supper and, and they use organ music. Not one of those churches, not one of them has ever put me in charge. And so I, I in the 1970s, I was so excited because, you know, I was really bored and I had nothing to do. And But Bill Hybels and, and Dr. B, they did something really radical. They put me in charge of Willow Creek. And, oh, I finally had something I could do. I mean, what is this again it sounds so humble so pious but it is so arrogant and so contrary to what god's word says oh and by the way is he preaching the bible no is he proclaiming christ no not even close he has a lot in common with the pope
6: doesn't he the holy spirit is going to be in charge not a human personality and then he would look at me and he'd go right bill
0: And I go, yeah, right. Yeah, the Holy Spirit then speaks to the vision-casting leader, Bill Hybels.
6: Hey, Gil, whatever you say. And then he'd say, like, your name is not going to be on the sign, Bill. I said, you know, technically, Gil, we don't have a sign, you know. He goes, well, when we have one, your name's not going to be on it. I said, well, that's fine. And your name's not going to be on any building. I said, we don't have any building. And and, and he said, well, when we do, your name's not going to be on it. I said, that's good. And he said, y- "You're really not going to be that well known at all. The Holy Spirit's going to be real well known." I was like, "Can I attend this church? Are you going to let me come?"
0: Yeah, nobody has ever heard of Bill Hybels. Nobody. I mean, it's if I said the word, yeah, you know, the name Bill Hybels, mostly say Bill who? Right. Yeah.
6: But he would sell us on this. He would say, "This isn't going to be a personality-driven place. The Holy Spirit." is going to do an awesome job of guiding us. The Holy Spirit is going to give us gifts and talents. The Holy Spirit's going to give us the direction and the power. And we get the thrill of riding along with what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And my buddies and I would act like we understood. We'd shake our heads in agreement when he talked to us like that. And the minute he would leave the room, we would say, What is he smoking? (laughs) I mean, it was a wonderful theological idea. We didn't have a clue how to put that picture into practice.
3: Yeah, exactly. How do you
0: put the Holy Spirit in charge? I'd like to know how that's done.
6: How do you sync up with the church where the Holy Spirit's in charge? Dr. B was very patient. First thing he did is he taught us how the Holy Spirit could be in charge of our individual lives. Believe it or not, most of us didn't know how to have the Holy Spirit. In charge of our daily circumstances. We didn't know the prayers of surrender. We didn't know the salient scriptures that would. Prayers of surrender. Where are those found again? Would teach us how to walk with God, how to hear Him throughout the day, how to obey His promptings, and so.
0: Oh, how to receive direct revelation. Again, where does Scripture teach us that? Because Scripture is actually very clear that all of the written Word of God is theonustos. That means God breathed. And let me read to you what Scripture says about itself. The Holy Spirit, who inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words, describes the role of Scripture for us Christians. Here's what it says. All Scripture, this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is theonoustos, breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every, that's right, every good work. Is there a good work that God the Holy Spirit would have you do? Then the God the Holy Spirit will prepare you to do it through the written word of God. God will speak to you through the written word. Word of God. Bill Hybels is one of these guys. We covered this a few years back. He's got this book out there called Whispers. Whispers, you know, claims to receive direct revelation from God. Of course, he's the vision
6: casting leader of Willow Creek. We continue. And he very patiently taught us how each of us, we're in our early 20s, how the Holy Spirit could be in charge of each day of our lives. I was explaining this last night at the 530 service. And a woman who's been a part of our church for quite a long time came down, stood in a line. She said, Bill, I don't know how the Holy Spirit would be in charge of my daily life. Would you explain it to me? Well, Dr. B explained it to all of us young leaders. Here's how the Holy Spirit leads your day on a day-to-day basis. And we bought in the whole thing. And then he taught us about the power of teams. Uh, He taught us about the power of spiritual gifts. But he showed us that New Testament churches are always led by teams of people, and he had to sell it. Now, by the way, that's called a plurality of elders,
0: and it liken it to a team is correct and incorrect. You must understand that there are biblical offices, you know, that are revealed in Scripture, offices, and there are office holders, and there are qualifications for those offices and there are duties of those offices particularly the office of pastor and so there are elders there are deacons there are episcopoi there these are important offices within the church and yes they work together as a team but they are offices because the church is not a movement the church is an institution unfortunately bill hybels believes that the church is a movement and a movement needs leaders and apparently team, you know, leadership teams to move it forward in order for it to achieve its objectives.
6: On this a little bit, because back in the 70s, there were some large churches and they were Reverend so-and-so's church. You knew the name. The name was on the sign. The name was on the building. The name was all over the place. It was always about a human personality. And Dr. B said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And he, would t- he took us back to the first team. The team called the Trinity, and he talked about the Father and the Son and the Holy. The team called the Trinity. Oh boy, this is a problem. Holy Spirit, and he said that's why in, in Genesis, when when there when mankind is going to be created, the, the Scripture says, "Let us make man in our own image." Who's the us? It's the team of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they get along with each other.
0: Yeah, but see, the thing is, is that the The Trinity, calling it a team is so trite. The one true God exists in three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To somehow look to the Trinity and say, well, we can just craft a leadership team because God is a Trinity, so we need a team too. That's a huge problem. You can't get there. You don't decide ecclesiology based upon the fact that there's one God who exists as three eternal persons. Yeah, that yeah. again, you don't build ecclesiology
6: off of the doctrine of the Trinity. And there's mutuality. They have specific roles, but they cheer each other on and, and kind of fire each other up within the team of the Trinity. And then he said the first thing Jesus did when he came to planet Earth to start his ministry. Here's Jesus. He starts the team of 12. And it was all about the 12. It wasn't just about Jesus. It was all about Jesus and the 12. And he said, so listen to me. When we start this church, there's going to be a group of elders and there will be a team of them, not a single personality that runs it for years and years. And so there'll be a cycling kind of leadership to protect it from becoming a human personality driven thing. They'll decide the direction of the church. and So So we're just going to create a new ecclesiology
0: because, you know, the Trinity is a team and there was a team of of apostles. So, you know. We're going to put a team in place here, just ignoring the ecclesiology revealed in Scripture and reading into Scripture a team ecclesiology. This is a problem. And again, let me note, um, he has a lot in common with uh, Pope Francis. Pope Francis didn't spend a lot of time preaching about Jesus. How much have you heard and learned about Jesus in this sermon by Bill Hybels? Nah, nothing. What have you learned about Willow Creek? A lot. What have you learned about real church history? Answer,
6: nothing. And yeah, there will be staff members and staff will work in teams. And then there will be a youth team, maybe, and there'll be a music team, maybe. But it's all going to happen in teams. And team leadership is the New Testament concept, he would say. And then he would say, well... Yeah, then why
0: is he ignoring the New Testament ecclesiology and the fact that there are offices and there's duties of that office and responsibilities of that office and qualifications for those office holders?
6: uh, The job of the team is to discern the direction and the timing and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit.
0: And how are they supposed to do that? fortune cookies um they're supposed to stick their finger into the wind to see which direction the holy spirit is blowing yeah that's very vague and uh, to this so whatever they're doing there at willow creek god the holy spirit told them to do it so if you're critiquing it understand you're critiquing god himself
6: today hey, everything that happens at willow more than any church i know of in the world everything that happens at willow happens in teams And sometimes when I plan a lot of different teams and sometimes when a team gets stuck, there's a problem we can't solve. What team put this sermon together? We'll stop in the middle of the meeting and we have this little phrase we use in most of our teams. We'll say, God, uh, we've been meeting on this issue here and we're stuck. And we would like your mind on this matter. God, would you give us your mind on this matter? And then we say, Holy Spirit, you can give the answer through any of us. Just, we're a team that needs your help right now. Give us your mind on the matter. Thanks, God. And then we start, we continue to meet. And, And it's just uncanny how many times through an unexpected person on the team, the Holy Spirit will speak and get us over the hump. But nothing around this church has ever been built on single personalities. It's always been built on teams. Uh, Dr. B also talked, talked to us about spiritual gifts, because he said sometimes when you're on a team, you don't know the role that you should play on the team. It's great to be on a team, but a team has to have specific roles covered, right? And so, so he would take us to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and show us about these things called spiritual gifts, divine talents, these supernatural capabilities that enable all of us to contribute something to the teams that were on. And get this, while he was working full-time, full teaching load at Wheaton College, sometimes at Trinity College, he would sit down with us founding leaders one-on-one and help us identify our spiritual gifts. Can you imagine the patience required to do that? And then when he helped all of us figure out what our spiritual gifts were, he would say to us, now, if you're on this team over here and the team needs a teacher and you have the gift of teaching, offer your gift of teaching. And if you're on a team that needs administrative work done and you have the gift of administration, offer to do the work of the administrator. And if your team lacks leadership and God's given you the gift of leadership, then just raise your hand and volunteer to use that leadership gift. Since the 70s, we have organized everything in teams and we have put people in roles according to their spiritual gifts. And uh, this has become just a, a way of doing church work around here. And it's not personality driven. It's not who has the most power, who has the most money. It's got us, this approach has got us through the 70s all the way through today. I predict it will take us well into our future. Do you agree with this? So let's give a round
0: of applause to Willow Creek and their team approach because God, the Holy Spirit, you know, they they made the Holy Spirit first. They put him in charge and the Holy Spirit just totally ignored what the New Testament actually reveals regarding the ecclesiology that he revealed there in um, the New Testament and took Willow Creek in a whole new direction, whole new direction. Uh-huh.
6: We continue. How might be a good time for me to ask each of you, again, quick time out, what team are you on at Willow? When you were born into the family of God, the idea is that you'd be on a team. That you would find a little community that has has some service in mind that you render to the purposes of God in the world. And I'll push you beyond that and say, beyond just what team are you on, uh, what spiritual gift do you have so that you know your role on the team? So, in my early 20s, I didn't know what spiritual gifts were. I had a little team that I was forming to start the church, but I didn't know what my gifts were. And through patient teaching and tutelage by Dr. B, a gift assessments test... I found out, in fact, he told me one day, he said, Bill, a lot of people, a lot of Christians have five spiritual gifts. A lot of them have like six. I know some people have seven or eight gifts. He goes, as I've looked at your life very carefully, you only have three, dude, just three. I mean, it it falls off the ledge right there. You got nothing else, but you got three. So he said, the three, are leadership would be your first one. He said, I think the second one would be evangelism and the third one would be teaching. He'd say, now listen to me, listen these three gifts, God gave you. God gave you. And if you will develop these three gifts, if you will learn how to be a better leader than you are today, if you read everything you can read about leadership, if you'll get into the leadership game and start leading.
0: Get into the leadership game. Read everything you can about leadership. What about reading everything you can about what Scripture reveals as far as the roles, responsibilities, duties, and uh, qualifications for ho- those who hold the pastoral office. Big difference between being a pastor and being a leader. Weird. Again, we're hearing a lot about Will Creek, oh, about Bill Hybels, uh, all the time talking about how uh, unimportant he is while preaching about him, um, which is weird. It's It's double-minded and duplicitous. And deceitful. And um, again, he has a lot in common with the Pope. He doesn't seem all too quick to want to actually proclaim Christ. Weird. We continue.
6: He goes, I think you could be a leader that God could use someday. And evangelism, he said, you believe in the power of the gospel. You ought to be talking to all your friends and trying to lead them to faith. Use the gift of evangelism, believe that God is going to use your life to touch other people's lives, to help them to faith. And he said, teaching. He said, I know teaching scares you because I told him I didn't want the gift of teaching. And he said, well, it might scare you, but I think God's given it to you. And if you develop that, I think God could use you as a teacher someday. So 40 years ago, a guy tells me I have three gifts and I'm just dumb enough to say, well, then I I want to get better at this. I want to get better at this. I want to get better at this. And look at my life 40 years later.
0: Look at me. Yeah, that's what he's basically saying. Look at me.
6: We continue. This is so much a part of my identity. I don't even know who I'd be if I didn't orient my life around the development and the deployment of those gifts. And some of you have been Christians for a long time, you're not on a team. You don't know what your gifts are. You don't feel necessary. You don't feel like you have a valuable contribution to make to the advancement of God's purposes in the world. You're out of step with the Holy Spirit, gang. Can I say it just as clearly as that? You are out of step with the Holy Spirit.
0: Says the man who's not doing what the Holy Spirit says he he should be doing. What he should be doing is preaching the word. And yet he's saying to everybody else, they're out of step with the Holy Spirit. Yet, let me get, let me read a little bit more from 2 Timothy chapter 4. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the Apostle Paul to write to young Pastor Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. They will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. How do you do that? You preach the word. Uh, Bill Hybels is scratching itching ears here. Because he's preaching about himself. The Pope scratched a lot of itching ears. A lot of them. Because who was he really preaching about? He wasn't preaching about Christ. I think you get the point. Yeah, something weird is going on here. We continue.
6: You're out of step with the Holy Spirit, gang. Can I say it just as clearly as that? You are out of step with the Holy Spirit. If you were yielded completely to the Holy Spirit, he would guide you to a team and you'd be on it, and then if you... If you were yielded
0: to the Holy Spirit, he'd guide you to a team. Which biblical text says this? If you were
6: in step with the Holy Spirit, you'd find your spiritual gift. You'd use it. You'd feel the thrill of God using you to touch other people's lives and to help the efforts of that team. And the church would grow, and the church would get stronger and do its job better. You know that we... We teach about once a month. We teach a class on Wednesday night called Discover Your Gifts. Discover Your Gifts. I ask you, every single one of you who aren't absolutely clear what your gifts are, go to that class, 75-minute class. Then there's some online tools that you can use as well so that each of you can come out the other side of that class and know what your gifts are. And then you can also join a team, whichever one God leads you to, But if we had every single person in this church on a serving team, using their spiritual gift for God's glory, feeling the thrill of God using you, we would have a future so bright you could barely look at it. Your move. Okay? Now let me wrap things up today by taking you back to one of the single most important decisions we made in the 70s. And it changed the whole trajectory of Willow Creek Church for the ensuing 40 years. Yeah, let's talk about one of
0: our important decisions, yeah, because church history, it started in the 1970s, yeah, right.
6: As we were preparing to open the doors of the Willow Creek Theater for the very first time, the very first service, we'd had a youth group meeting, but we'd never had an adult service, you see. The question was asked innocently by about 100 students that met in our rented offices the week before we were going to start the church. I had them all gathered for prayer, 100 high school students, and we're gathered praying for our opening service. And one kid raises his hand and he goes, hey, who can we invite to come to the first service with us? Who could we invite to come? I'll never forget that little interaction that happened in the moments that followed. Uh, I wish it could have been videotaped, actually. Because each one of these high school kids was young in their faith. Most of them had been Christians for less than two years. And God had rocked their young lives. They were passionate about their faith. And they had boundless energy and enthusiasm. And they couldn't wait for this church to start. But they really didn't know who it was legal or appropriate to invite to come to this church. So I responded to them and I said, well, who would you like to invite to come? I'll put the question back on you. Who would you like to invite? If you knew you know, that there were no rules, if you weren't going to get in trouble, who would you like to invite? And one by one they started. One kid said, man, I'd really like to invite my dad. My dad's never gone to any church. He doesn't even like me coming to this youth group. But, oh, man, I'd, I'd like to invite my dad. I don't think he'd come, but, boy, I'd like to invite him. Next person said, I'd like to invite my mom, but she and her friends drink a lot on Saturday nights. I'm not sure what shape she'd be in 10 o'clock Sunday morning. But, you know, I'd like to invite her, and I wish she'd come, and I wish she'd be sober. Oh, man, it'd be awesome if she would come, and if she would come sober. Another kid said, I'd like to invite my football coach, but he swears a lot, drops the F-bomb once in a while, and he goes, "Uh, I don't know how that all worked out, but he's a great guy. Man, I wish he'd come. I'd like to invite him. I listened to those kids for almost 30 minutes as they described who they wished they could invite to this new church, who they wished it was legal for them to bring with them on opening Sunday. I was fighting off a wave of emotion as I sat on a stool in front of them. Their hearts were so pure. So pure. They were unselfish with their faith. They were filled with concern about their family and friends and classmates and coaches. All they wanted was for these other people they knew to experience the love of Christ like they had. So I said to them, look gang, in John three sixteen, when it says that God so loved the world. Who do you think that love included? Who do you think that so loved the world included? A couple of students said, "Ah." Oh, everybody? I said, yeah, good, good. I said, when Jesus spread his arms... So we got something that is, well, he's talking about
0: the gospel. He's not actually proclaiming it. Big difference between the two.
6: About to be nailed to the cross to redeem people from their sin. Who in that moment was he extending his grace to when he was on the cross? Who was he extending his grace to? i got to give
0: Bill Hybels this. At least he mentioned Jesus and said something about the cross. I didn't really hear the Pope talking about that at all.
6: His grace to, and a couple more students chimed in and they said, "Like Everybody, everybody. I said, when Jesus rose from the dead, proving he was God's son, the Messiah. Notice he's
0: not actually proclaiming this; he's telling this in a story, a memory of uh, you know a decision they made at Willow Creek.
6: The Messiah, and he told his disciples to spread the message all over the world. Who is he hoping the disciples would reach with the good news? And now they're kind of catching on. And the students start saying, everybody, everybody, everybody. And I ended my little riff by saying, you asked me a moment ago who you could invite to the first service in our new church in the movie theater. What do you think the answer is? And now these kids started yelling at, everybody, 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 everybody. I said, that is exactly the right answer. And that's God's heart. And that's God's hope. Because he wants... Everybody to experience redeeming grace. So those kids went out. Yeah, if God wants
0: everyone to experience redeeming grace, how come you're not preaching it? You talked about it in the in the form of a flashback, a memory of something that you did long ago at Willow Creek. But in this sermon, you've preached Willow Creek, you've preached Bill Hybels, you've preached a false ecclesiology, you've preached a false doctrine of the Holy Spirit, impend all of this nonsense on the Holy Spirit. But you haven't really proclaimed Christ and his redeeming grace. You know, Talking about it in a flashback in the memory is far different than actually telling the people present there Christ has bled and died for your sins. Repent and be forgiven. There's mercy and forgiveness even for you. Big difference.
6: And they invited everybody. Shamelessly. Unapologetically. They invited the dad and the mom who drank too much and the coach who swore too much. They invited rich and poor and black and white and addicted and sober people. They were inviting maniacs. And they didn't do it just week one. They did it the next week and then the next month and the next year. And here we are. Think about it. We're here in this beautiful auditorium and spread all over Chicagoland as a result of their invitational passion. Decades later, we're here because that little group of high school kids said, we're going to invite everybody. And we're here now and we are... We're here now 40 years later, and we're young and old, and we're rich and poor, and we're black and white and brown. We have 34% diversity at Willow now. We're from over 100 nations. Many of us are Christians. Others of us are putting the puzzle pieces together. But if you were to ask me, what about Willow I have loved the most over all these years, is that we have remained a church whose arms and hearts and doors are still open to everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, apparently Willow Creek's the Savior. We are open to every... We, we, we. What about Christ? What about
6: Jesus? And I love the fact that on on the mats outside of our doors, we still say, everybody, everybody, everybody. Does't matter what you've been through, how deep a hole you dug for yourself doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, or gay or straight, it doesn't matter if you've got your life all put together or- it doesn't
0: matter if you're rich or poor, gay or straight, yeah, rich, poor, gay, and straight um, they're all sinners in need of the Savior and need to repent and to be forgiven because of the shed blood of Christ that was shed for them for the forgiveness of their sins because God laid on Jesus, all of their iniquity, and atoned for it. Man, this is
6: a problem. Or your life is a mess. God's love is for everybody. And we would like all of you to come and hear about it.
0: Yeah, I'd like to hear about it myself, because I haven't really heard much about it in this sermon. Heard about how great Willow Creek is. Love of God? Yeah, I mean, you talk about it, but you haven't given me any real details about it. And
6: as we start this series, this soundtrack series, and we trace the decades, and we trace the activity of God in our church up to the present. Trace day.
0: the activity of God in our church, not the church, our church. Yeah, the church started uh, on the day of Pentecost, AD 33. Their church is sometime in 1975.
6: Present day. I leave you with this challenge. Invite everybody to this series.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't invite anybody. I I wouldn't want my neighbors to hear this and think that this is Christianity.
6: Have the same maniacal passion the kids that started this church did. Invite everybody. Don't say someone's no for them. Say, God's doing something that, well, this is an incredible series. Come and see what God does. Now I'm going to close in prayer, but a two-part prayer. If you were in, if you joined our church in the decade of the 70s, would you stand first? Stand up if you joined our church in the decade of the 70s. Look, they're still alive. They're still alive. Wow. Look at all these people. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, stay standing just for a second. Stay standing. I want to thank those of you who joined us in the 70s, and I want to thank you for inviting everybody you knew because we're the results of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now with all the rest of you stand, please. All the rest of you and we'll have a close Hugh sappy music
0: this is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience as he's getting ready to do business with them Right? Yeah.
6: closing prayer the one thing the programming team didn't allow me to do they didn't allow me to set up or follow up the song Little Pilgrim because they know me and they know I would have derailed the whole service that song, Little Pilgrim, that describes the life of someone who's trying to find his way. But he took a little turn to the left and wound up in a ditch. But the Christians didn't judge him. They said, "That's okay, it's all right, it's just a temporary thing, Come get back on the path, come on, keep going, keep going, we'll walk with you, we'll help you. That song defined us for our first decade where we looked at people far from God and we said, they're just pilgrims. They might be screwed up right now. It's okay. We can wrap our arms around these pilgrims and we can help them find their way back home. Sow some seeds to some pilgrims who have lost their way this week. Spread the news of redemption to Everybody. See what God does. Now, God, thank you.
0: Done. So you get the point. There's uh, something missing. You know, it it would be like going to um, In-N-Out Burger. You know, I'll I'll be somewhat awful here because, man, do I miss In-N-Out Burger. You can't get it here in North Dakota. But it would be like going to In-N-Out Burger and ordering a double-double. And there being no meat. No meat at all. You remember that commercial from the 80s, Where's the Beef? Yeah, this is the sermonic equivalent of that. How is it that you have a Christian church without Christ? How are you a Christian churchman who can somehow command an audience for hours and not proclaim Christ? Um, yeah, and the problem is is that this isn't just a Roman Catholic issue. it seems to be pervasive and just about everywhere you find it at Willow Creek, you can find it at open vision Church, open Heaven Church, you can find it at c three you can find it at uh, Saddleback. you can find it just about everywhere you go nowadays. again, how do you have an in and out burger double double without any beef? That would no longer be a double-double. Christianity without Christ ceases to be Christianity. Christian preaching that doesn't exalt, proclaim Christ in his saving office and work for us, properly distinguishes between law and gospel, proclaims sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness. Without all that, what makes that Christian preaching? Talking about brotherhood and conviction and and walking through the history of what you think God told you to do, you know, well, we we made the Holy Spirit the, you know, the, the in charge here. Yeah, I'm glad you did that. Um, again, what makes any of this Christian? Have we lost sight of the head of our church, the head of our lives as Christians, the head of the body of Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith? Where has Jesus gone? Finding him is way more complicated in many churches than finding Waldo in those books. There's a big problem, big problem, and it's pervasive and it's everywhere. Jesus seems to have gone missing in the minds and in the hearts of people who claim that they are followers and believers in Christ, and that's a problem. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.